beginning at the latter part of verse 18 of Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. A first question for us to consider as we continue our study of our being filled with God's Holy Spirit is one that seems so very important to our charismatic friends. And that is, does the Holy Spirit always actually manifest Himself outwardly? Make Himself known? Show Himself in a prominent and invisible way? as He abides within us and as we worship Him. The conclusion that I've come to from these scriptures is that the answer is yes, He does. But often, not intentionally so. Not intentionally so. And why would that be so? And why would that be important for us to know? It's because, like the other two members of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son, there is a preeminent element of humility that so pervades their character that it inhibits their exalting and manifesting of themselves. They each instead exalt and manifest other members of the Trinity. God the Father defers to and gives all authority to God the Son. God the Son defers to and blesses and exalts God the Father. And the Holy Spirit manifests and He reveals and exalts the Son. Each of the three pointing back to and glorifying the other members of the Trinity. It is simply the way they are. But although neither God the Father, God the Son, nor God the Holy Spirit exalts or manifests His own self, we're still able to see, and we're still able to accept and realize their own individual majesty and dignity and grandeur and authority and power. Each having and doing and accomplishing their own special purposes. Here in our scripture text, we're being commanded to be filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit which though that being an utterly incomprehensible experience for our natural mind to imagine, is one that you and I must, by faith, reach for, pursue after, and receive and cherish once we do receive it. Because here He's commanded us to do that. So then, as you and I obey this command from God to be filled with the Spirit, what will be your and my actual experience? What actually takes place within our soul, our mind, our spirit, as God fills us with His presence? What actually takes place? What is the experience? Will we sing and dance before the Lord as our scripture verses here imply? Will we talk in some unknown tongue, as many of our charismatic friends insist? Or will we simply sit quietly in our comfortable church pews as most of us Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists most often do? 
trying to maintain our response of being decently in order. And I say that somewhat with tongue-in-cheek. But what will be the outward sign, the manifestation that evidences that the Holy Spirit is actually residing within our souls? Or will there even be an outward sign? A visible, outward manifestation of His presence within us? Ask in a different way, are you and I able to observe other people and to know whether or not they are filled with the Holy Spirit? And even more, are other people able to observe you and I and know that we are filled with the Holy Spirit? In a previous message, I mentioned a Bible scholar that I've come to believe is trustworthy with God's precious truths, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he put forth the premise that the Holy Spirit has two distinctively separate ways of manifesting His presence. Firstly, He manifests Himself by those things that He does on the inside of our soul, wooing us to God the Father as we sing about here in this hymn, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment, convincing us of our need for a Savior. He also manifests Himself even further on the inside of our souls by coming to live within us, bringing with Him assurance and comfort and love and peace and joy and patience and all those other precious fruits of the Spirit. And then He also, as I mentioned a moment ago, He brings special spiritual gifts and abilities sanctifying us and changing us into very different people from whom we once were. So yes, simply because we have been changed so much by His presence and by His fruits and by His gifts, there will certainly be some level of outward evidence of those inward changes. But Martin Lloyd-Jones contends that there is yet another more prominent outward manifestation that the Holy Spirit will demonstrate as He manifests Himself through outward signs, such as He did there at Pentecost and on those other similar occasions. Manifestations that are described as the Holy Spirit being poured out, being poured out upon the souls of men, where men and women show forth a visible manifestation of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, as we know, it is in this distinctly different belief, these two distinctly different manifestations of the Spirit, that whole denominations move away from their fellowship with one another the contention by many of them being that such outward signs by the Holy Spirit are not for today's church. But were only intended for the days and times of the early church. That certain of those gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, especially there in 1 Corinthians 12, have ceased to be given in our day. 
and this divergence of beliefs have, have become very contentious between denominations and especially involving our charismatic friends. But even also, there is a difference that is taking place even in the Reformed churches, such as with Presbyterian and Baptist churches. In his book, Joy Unspeakable, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is, by the way, a very conservative believer and Bible scholar, he speaks of a transformation that took place within his own soul. A transformation that surprised some of his closest conservative friends but one in which he discovered for himself that God truly does want to make himself outwardly known as well as inwardly felt. And folks, I must confess to you that I myself am very interested in knowing more about that transformation that Martin Lloyd-Jones experienced. As I pondered these matters in my own heart, I've equated such outward manifestations as spoken about here to a particular word and a phrase, that word being testimony, and the phrase being the testimonies of the Lord. And they're used often throughout these scriptures, especially throughout the Psalms. Now I realize that many of those special words of God, such as testimonies, commands, precepts, decrees, statutes, judgment, all of those have more than one meaning, giving a length and breadth that's beyond measure. But this expression here, the testimonies of the Lord, it has a very special meaning within my mind and within my heart. The words, the testimony of the Lord, seems most often to be used when there's an obvious and visible demonstration, an outward sign, a witness of God's power and His presence and His provision that's able to be seen, observed with our own eyes. Now, question. Will everyone who sees those outward signs know that they are from God? Unfortunately, most often, probably not. Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living within them will often struggle to see the hand of God in anything. They simply cannot see it. But though that be true, we also do know that there are times and circumstances in which the most staunch of unbelievers will be able to see. God will open their eyes so that they can see some of His testimonies. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they, the unbelievers, are without excuse. That was Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And if you might recall, beginning in verse 21, God begins to just define how awful and depraved we can become. But He says, we are without excuse because He has enabled our eyes to see some of those wonders and testimonies. He says in the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. Everyone ought to be able to look at the trees of the field and recognize the handiwork of God. But folks, it's especially within the hearts and the minds and the behaviors of those who have actually received Christ 
as Savior and Lord, that God will make Himself most fully known. And that's the focus of our thoughts about these testimonies of the presence of God, of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God being poured out upon our souls. In his book, Joy Unspeakable, Martin Lloyd-Jones describes these blessings from the Lord as a confirming realization of God's presence that is so manifest, so powerful, so intense that all of the ordinary understandings of who God is will change. Our understanding will change dramatically. May I say that I have studied these scriptures on these very points and I personally do not see any conflict with our believing both of these biblical doctrines that I've been speaking of here, that of the indwelling presence and works of the Holy Spirit and that of that greater and more obvious outward manifestation of His presence. There is no conflict in the Scripture. Both of those doctrines are here. And no, as of this moment in time, I have not personally had such manifestations to take place in me, especially as took place there in the early church of talking in tongues and of performing public miracles. I've never participated in those. I've never known them. But I do not see where these scriptures prohibit those things from taking place today in me or in you, in the church. I instead see simply that certain spiritual gifts are given to certain specific people, but not to others bringing a different experience of God's presence into each person's life. And I accept those differences. And as we know, in this church, we do not observe designated times of perhaps talking in tongues or of public healings. But you might recall that in keeping with the instructions in James 5 that we have in this church laid on hands, and prayed for healing. And God did heal. Those words in James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That's a promise from the Lord. That's in the New Testament. That is for today. Folks, why should there be such a controversy among the brethren about such matters as these? How big is our God anyway? Must we always keep Him in a neatly defined little box so that we can understand Him better? Can we not allow Him to be bigger, to be more vast in His ways than the limitations imposed by our natural minds? Should we not be open to the leading of God's Holy Spirit, even and especially when His leading goes against our natural grain of ordinary belief? Here in our text, we have received the command to be filled with His Spirit. And that is a very mystical thought. One, you can't wrap your, your mind around it. It's too incomprehensible but yet He has commanded us to be filled 
with His Spirit. And because He has commanded us to do that, we have a responsibility to do exactly that. Because, as we've said on other occasions, when God does give us a command, He really does have an expectation that we'll respond and we'll obey what He's saying. May I say that again? When God gives us a command, which He has done here, to be filled with His Spirit, He has an expectation of you and me to do exactly that, to obey. But more than that, and this is the want to that God puts into our heart. John Wesley spoke about this. He puts this want to in our heart. If we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the one command that God gives to us, should we not deeply desire and want and hope for such love to actually fill every fiber of our being? And the simple truth is, we will need this manifest presence of God's Holy Spirit to even begin to have that kind of love for Him. So it all ties together. So then, yes, you and I do want and need to be filled with His Spirit and with His presence, with His fruits of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and on and on. And yes, we do want to be filled with His spiritual gifts. Whichever of those gifts He wants to give to us, whether it be preaching or teaching or evangelism or serving or giving and on and on. Because... Those gifts equip you and me to be His workmanship, as it tells us in Ephesians 2. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You and I cannot do the good works that He wants us to do unless we are equipped properly. But with all of these special manifestations of God's Spirit taking place on the inside of us, on the inside of our souls, should we not also be receptive to the outward manifestations of His Spirit? should Christ choose to bless us with them. The ones spoken about in these words of His Spirit being poured out upon us and our spirit being baptized by His Spirit. As we know, many of our more conservative Bible scholars just simply insist that these concepts, that of God's Spirit being poured out on us, and of our being baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they are simply one in the same experience as this that we're talking about here today, being filled with His Spirit. That is all one experience. May I say to you, I personally do not see that anywhere in these Scriptures. And I'd encourage you to carefully study them for yourself. They are not one in the same. Again, for myself, I have come to believe that because both of those doctrines are in these Scriptures, then both are true and are God's will in our relationship with Him. The two manifestations of His presence are simply for different purposes. Being filled with His Spirit is foundational to all that we are in Christ. And being filled with His Spirit is intended to be a continuous ongoing part of our relationship with Him, one that you and I, as He commands us here, must diligently pursue after. The other manifestation, that of God's Spirit being poured out upon us and our being baptized by His Holy Spirit, 
that's given in scriptures occasionally at the discretion of Christ and is for very specific and certain people at certain specific times for specific purposes. The most evident purpose being that of showing forth a special outward and visible witness and testimony of God's power in His presence. You'll recall that each time God's Spirit was poured out upon a person or a group of people, everyone watching could see and they could hear that it was taking place as in the day of Pentecost when there was flaming tongues of fire visible to everyone. And each of those disciples were speaking in foreign tongues, tongues of people from other nations. An outward sign that everyone could see. Recall my question a few moments ago? Should you be able to look at me? Should I be able to look at you and know if God has filled you with His Spirit or if God's Spirit has been poured out upon you, upon me? The Apostle Peter explained what was taking place there in, at Pentecost with these words. He said, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. John the Baptist also spoke about those things in Luke chapter 3. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but oh, there's one mightier than I that is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's exciting. Again, while I have never personally experienced such outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit as these, I have to confess that I have experienced occasions when I have felt the presence of the Lord in ways that my heart was just simply set ablaze for Him. I cherish those times. So then, yes, I truly would love for Christ to pour out His Spirit upon me, upon us as a church. Because when He does, I am confident that our works and our words and our behaviors will become a powerful beacon of light and a testimony, an outward testimony like we've never experienced before and others cannot deny. Will we perhaps talk in tongues as our charismatic friends insist that we should? Perhaps we will, but probably not. But for sure, if God does give any of us such utterances, then we will then obey and do whatever His Spirit tells us to do, and gladly so. Again, may I sincerely encourage you and me to personally continue to search these Scriptures for ourselves and allow the abiding Holy Spirit to give us His knowledge and His wisdom on these matters. And He surely will do that. One last thought before we close. Those verses that I mentioned earlier, verses 19 and 20, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is 
be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Folks, that is part of the outward manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of Christ coming to the surface and bursting forth into psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As I mentioned earlier, that is not just some drab mumbling of a few words from the pages of the hymnal. This is singing and shouting and praising the Lord with all that we have within us. This is real surrender. This is real worship. Listen to these words again as I close. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Amen. Let's pray.